0: you're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Adrian Frost and Laura
1: Geyser. This month, we're reading The Loving Push by Temple Grandin and Deborah
0: Moore. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club. Today, we're going to be doing part two of chapter four from The Loving Push. Thanks for joining us. Chapter four is really about stretching your child just outside of their comfort zone. It's about different ways to approach your child so they have the best odds of moving forward. The book recommends that it's important to have clear expectations for children on the spectrum, especially because learning might be different for their brain. So you might need to modify their projects or their chores if necessary so they can learn easier. In a household, you should make it clear that each member is required to do some household chores And then you need to model what they are, like while the child is observing before they're expected to perform that chore. It's also important to remember to stick to the basics when teaching a child on the spectrum or anybody really a new task. So identify the basic principles and go from there. There are certain things that are basic principles that all children on the spectrum should learn. And these are the ability to take turns, to cope with not always getting their way, being willing to do some things they really don't want to do, controlling impulsive behavior, maintaining basic hygiene, and also being able to follow through on tasks. So those are just a handful of basic skills that will influence a variety of downstream behaviors. And so many other behaviors can be eliminated in the future for these kids if we focus on those behaviors.
1: I had a note just, I think they called these critical control points, but I just was thinking Mm. it would almost be nice to have a little kind of informal assessment with the list of these that you could start going over with parents even as young as kindergarten. What are you going to be responsible for at home? What are we going to be working on in the school? These are skills that every person needs going into our world and then kind of assessing them year after year to make sure that they're not getting overlooked because like you said in our last episode sometimes in school the focus is so academic yeah and you know I know in the district I worked in you were either on the core curriculum or you were put on the alternate curriculum and parents there was like no middle ground, it felt like either your child is only going to be learning basic life skills or they're going to be learning reading, writing, and math at the same level as their peers. And then when they do stay on that core curriculum, Mm. often those other skills are just kind of neglected because the school is saying, well, that's not really our responsibility. So it would be nice to have a list of these skills that the kid needs that are gone over each year. Like, how are we working on this? How are we working on this? So everyone's on the same page. The parents know what their responsibility is and the school knows what their responsibility is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's such a good point. I hope that at some point there will be a little bit more balance. I have been a part of some really great classrooms like that really focus on life skills. Like I'm thinking of the mod Severe class at my old school, high school, had a washer and dryer in the classroom. It used to be the home ec room <laughs> and then that. they made it into the, my, <laughs> to the mod Severe room, which was so great. So they had stoves and ovens in there. They had washers and dryers and sometimes I would go in and kids would fully be practicing doing laundry They had recipes. They would walk across the street to the grocery store shop and then come back and make like a really easy microwave recipe. Mm -hmm. And I just thought like, wow, you know, to be honest, these are skills that probably every kid in this high school (laughs) would benefit from. (laughs) (laughs) Specifically the laundry one. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, you're right. There's a balance always between academic and life skills.
1: Yeah. And I think it's hard when the parents of a young child know, you know, they've seen how smart their child is, but maybe he's (laughs) nonverbal. Right. And it can just be really hard to let go of that idea of getting a high school diploma Oh, yes, and learning all of the skills that they think that they should be in terms of academics. But uh, yeah, classes like that. That would, in my district, be on the alternate curriculum where you're learning those life skills. I just wish that they were marketed to parents in a better way when they're younger so that they're understanding, like, this is going to prepare your child for independence.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have also been a part of IEP meetings where that parent seems really taken by surprise when that conversation comes up. What's the plan? And they haven't thought about it at all. And you're right that if the conversation was started maybe in early elementary school, the parents would have more time to think through their options or even explore options or tour different programs and just kind of figure out what works for them. Because so often when these kinds of conversations are brought up, the response is just this immediate defensive like pushback because. It's scary and it's different and it doesn't fit the dream that they had for their child. So, yeah, if you haven't already picked it up, uh, being a high school SLP is pretty difficult because of there's so many emotional conversations you have to have with parents. So I wouldn't say don't do it because it was still really rewarding, but definitely emotionally taxing. (laughs) (laughs) Children who have autism often struggle with perfectionism as well. They can get stuck because they want everything to be perfect. These children are often intolerable of their mistakes and also those of others. So these are the kids who are policing everybody in the speech group and YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it can be helpful to teach children that mistakes are just data you can use to adjust your behavior and move forward. They recommend looking at mistakes that have turned into successes on Google. And they had like some really great examples in the book of somebody. Oh, I think the person who invented penicillin, he had thrown his petri dishes like to the side, is so frustrated. And then he found the bacteria that was growing that turned into penicillin. So it might be helpful to look these up on Google and kind of talk about it with the child so they see mistakes aren't always bad. And they can sometimes even be helpful. There's a story in the book about. Sarah one of the people who's profiled and she talks about how she and her husband got a new golden retriever and it was Sarah's desire to work with the dog and she really wanted to train it but she expected perfection immediately despite the fact that there were some mistakes with how she was giving the commands to the dog so her husband walked with her and the dog one day and he pointed out that she was inconsistent impatient and that she had expectations that were just too high for the dog's development. And age. So then she worked with some trainers, one who just was not helpful and the dog still had some issues. But eventually she found a trainer that had worked with dogs trained as service dogs for people with autism. So that's like such a beautiful coincidence that she was able to find somebody like that. And this person was able to help Sarah adapt her commands to be clear, precise and easy for the dog to follow. So now Sarah and the dog have a much better relationship, and Sarah is getting the results that she really wants from the dog. And the lesson that she said she learned was that expecting perfection only resulted in stress and frustration and kept her from achieving her goal of having a well-behaved, loving, and pleasing dog. Was that kind of like a hard story for you to read, Laura, or how were you feeling
1: (laughs) knowing your dog training? No. (laughs) I absolutely could commiserate with Sarah. I am super inconsistent with the commands I give my dogs. Some days I'm able to stay really calm and remain in pack leader position. And then some days I just (laughs) flip my lid. I'm yelling at the dogs. They're driving me crazy. And then my yelling only exacerbates the situation. So I learned something from her example. I'm going to stay more consistent and
0: I think we'll have a happier household. Wow. I think so too. I love that she was even willing to share that story because I think sometimes it can be hard to be vulnerable and share about a mistake, but all is well that ends well. Yeah. One important thing to remember is to push a child out of their comfort zone at the right time. So this is something we also went over with the whole brain child, but it bears repeating. Make sure they're not already annoyed or distressed. You'll still probably get pushback from them, but it's our job to combine acknowledgement of the discomfort with continuing to move forward. So we don't want to provide intermittent reinforcement. We want to strike when the iron is hot and when the child is in a receptive space. There was a good example of how Patrick's family supported him being funny, having a good singing voice, and being a good mimic. In the beginning, his fear of failure was larger than his ability to believe people when they told him these things so I can fully imagine Mm -hmm. his family like oh Patrick you're such a good singer and he was just scared and probably brushed off the compliment and didn't internalize it so his family started small and just had him sing like one small line from a song when they were in the car and then they built on top of that or they had him join an improv group through the local parks and rec department and I think his dad and his brother went with him because he was scared to go on his own so not only was it good for Patrick but also it was a good family bonding experience and he found out he didn't really want to pursue improv or singing but he tried you know and maybe even he had some fun so it's important to not just talk about it but try and keep trying over and over. Mm -hmm. And it's also a good idea to give the child deadlines when you assign a task because they will have deadlines in real life. So, for example, if you want your child to clean their room, you need to be specific. Yeah. Set the deadline so you could go in on a Tuesday and say, you know, I want your room to be cleaned by Friday at 5. Make a checklist of the tasks. I want all clothes picked up off the floor. I want water cups out of the room. I want your furniture dusted and your bed made or whatever, and then go over each item explaining and showing exactly how it should be done. When I was reading this, I was I could totally visualize saying, I want clothes picked up off the floor. And maybe they just pile them all on a chair or the bed. Yeah. Because you were not specific in saying, I want all clothes picked up off the floor and hung in hangers in the closet. (laughs) So the basic thing here is just be really clear about your expectations and when you want it to be done, as well as the consequences if this is not done as discussed. It's important to not let guilt undermine you when you're setting expectations for your child. So parents can be highly protective of kids on the spectrum, totally understandable, but this can cause them to be stuck below their capabilities. So you could always aim high and then scale it back if it really appears to be too hard for the child. And it's also important to talk to children, teens, and even younger adults about their responsibilities. So there are so many household chores that young kids can help with, like cleaning up their toys, brushing their teeth, greeting others appropriately, saying please and thank you. Elementary school children are capable of doing their own homework making their own bed, helping set and clear the table, and tidying up their personal belongings. By middle school, kids can help with many household chores like folding laundry, making their own sandwiches, and loading the dishwasher. Though I do want to point out that my four-year-old helps with the laundry, but she really likes it. (laughs) She loves to fold like dish towels and washcloths and stuff. I know, she's actually pretty helpful. (laughs) And I like that they put this emphasis on the children should really also be helping out other people, not just their immediate family. So this will give them practice with social skills and other life skills like sticking to their commitments. So by high school, most teens on the higher end of the spectrum should be doing laundry, starting to practice driving, managing their money, opening a savings account and shopping independently. And they should also be involved with a volunteer or paying job, even if it's really part time. And I have to point out, I like the emphasis in the book on these kids getting driver's licenses. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, once again, it is a balance because I'm thinking of one particular student who her parents did have high expectations for her, but sometimes I felt their expectations were a little too high because I think she had an autism diagnosis, but also she had some cognitive issues that made things harder for her. And- Specifically, some of the things we see with girls where she was just like a little too friendly with everyone and didn't have enough concern for her personal Mm -hmm. safety, but they really, really wanted her to get her driver's license. And I remember it was kind of like the Patrick story where it was just failure after failure trying 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 I feel like I heard all year like I'm gonna take my driver's test this weekend I'm gonna try again and I don't think it was coming from her I felt the push was coming from her parents but eventually she got it which was really exciting but I still felt unsure that she was able to make decisions in a way that a driver needs to make decisions okay so like once she was out driving around I was like really worried. (laughs) Yeah, what if something happens? Because I wasn't sure. Yeah, or if something goes wrong and she panicked. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I don't know. It's really difficult sometimes to know what to do in those situations.
1: Yeah, that's tough. I've always felt driving is a massive responsibility. But, you know, the parents are concerned for their child. So they're probably not just letting her drive everywhere willy-nilly. They probably have her go shorter distances and make sure she checks in I think that there are systems you could set up to ensure that they're safe and that you're checking in frequently
0: yes in this situation from what I recall I think the parents were just really sick of being chauffeurs and they just really wanted her this might have been a little denial mixed in they really wanted her to just like be a 16 year old be a 17 year old go where you want, do what you want with your friends. I don't want to drive you to the mall and to here and to there, but when I think about it, your suggestion is obviously spot on. I would be practicing the route between home and school. I would be really emphasizing stop signs and stop lights and looking both ways and things that have to do with other people's safety too. So I think there are ways definitely to ensure safer driving. But yeah, so this is really all about holding these children responsible while still recognizing their unique needs. Almost all kids on the spectrum need direct hands on experience in order to integrate information. So show them how to complete tasks step by step and then show it again. So show them how to do it and then show you doing it and then have them show it to you. So it's like a three step thing. And repeat this over and over and over until they can complete the task independently. There are some good examples in the book from Patrick's mom about how she tried to teach him to sweep the floor and to make scrambled eggs. So she needed to switch her own perspective to try and see how to best help him learn those skills and be successful. With the sweeping, she tried to teach him the way she gripped the broom and it just wasn't instinctive for him. The way that he gripped it made it more difficult for him to sweep. But instead of forcing him to conform to her way, she needed to try how he did it and see how she could help him do it most effectively. Same with the scrambled eggs. He was scrambling them counterclockwise or something. And once she tried it that way, she's like, wow, this is really hard. And instead of trying to force him to do it in a way that was not intuitive to him, she just found like an egg scrambling gadget. Yeah. helped him and now he's able to make eggs independently for the whole family. So sometimes we just got to think outside of the box. And we saw evidence of it. Oh yeah, such a cute (laughs) picture in the book of him cooking breakfast.
1: (laughs) Him making breakfast for his family. Yeah,
0: really sweet. The book also talks about how society's social norms and parenting styles have become much more informal over the past 50 years. So in some ways, this is probably more difficult for children on the spectrum because there are less hard and fast rules for social interactions. It might be a good idea for parents to just make their expectations of social graces clear in order to prepare the child for later successful interactions and early practice for learning more advanced skills down the road. There's another story about how Marina's mom expected a lot of rule following from marina from the time she was two years old so this is a good example of setting expectations she had marina care for animals help her sisters clean up and cook a meal wash and sort the clothes and help to fix her sister's hair which really made me think wow how did the sister feel (laughs) (laughs) she would also make up stories about the different chores she had to do which was a really good example of using something that marina really preferred which were stories as a means to motivate her with completing these tasks. So there was a little blurb from Marina where she kind of echoed that she felt this was really helpful for her throughout her whole life. So by her mom setting expectations for her, kind of setting the bar high, encouraging her to do things she didn't want to do, Marina was set up with a set of skills that carried her through for her whole life. And there was also a really beautiful story shared by Sarah's neighbor Armida. This was amazing. (laughs) About how she taught Sarah step by step how to babysit. This was like so amazing. Yeah, (laughs) It warmed my heart. I was like, wow, these people, I don't know, I'm constantly impressed with how supportive and kind all of these mentors were in these people's lives. But so what she said was that when Sarah's family moved in, I think she said Sarah was in late middle school maybe, but Armida and her husband were running a restaurant and they didn't have a lot of babysitting support with their kids. And she saw Sarah and she thought, wow. Sarah was 10. Oh, 10. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think okay, I'm I did have 10 in my mind, 10-year-old. but I thought, surely not. <laughs>
1: Taking care of an infant?
0: Oh, Lord, changing diapers. Okay, well, take it with a grain of salt. This is probably 20 years. But, yeah, she saw Sarah and she thought, wow, this 10-year-old would make a great babysitter. (laughs) So she goes over how she taught Sarah step-by-step how to know when a child is uncomfortable because their diaper needs to be changed. Or how to recognize, like, how to cook basic food for them how to bathe children, how to entertain children. She didn't want them watching TV all day. So she talked to Sarah about crafts and things that, you know, like games and how to build a bedtime routine for the kids. (laughs) I'm sorry. Now that I'm telling this story and I'm really recognizing that she was 10, it's a little different.
1: Well, it's interesting because for a child on the autism spectrum to be learning to take care of another child, and I don't know if this happens with uh kids on the spectrum who end up with younger siblings, but to recognize when a baby needs to be changed and to to recognize that baby's uncomfortable because they have a wet diaper, and I need to change it so that they're in a better mood, you're teaching empathy skills because you're teaching them to recognize the feelings of an of another human being, so right who knows. <laughs> How long this 10 year old was being left alone with these kids. But let's ignore that part and just recognize that it did teach her really, really valuable skills.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And I like how, after the story was kind of told, they said, you know, Sarah still called Armida, even when she went to college, to kind of check in with her and ask about how to cook certain things. So, yeah. I don't know. I think overall it was a good thing. Yeah. The last story is from Marie. Jaime's sister, she talks about how her own four and a half year old daughter was recently diagnosed as being on the spectrum. So she has high expectations for her daughter and recognizes that while being smart is great because her daughter has good cognitive skills, she needs more than just smarts to survive in the world. So she also needs to be kind and be able to share things. And she said teaching them compassion and kindness is a huge part of being able to live in society as an adult on the spectrum. And I think I'm going to leave it there today because I think that's such a beautiful quote, really. I mean, the whole chapter was just about pushing and expecting more and stretching your child and how to avoid pitfalls. But overall, you know, kindness, compassion, teaching your kids to see that is such a huge part of living in society for sure agreed so that's it for chapter four of the loving push thank you so much for joining us today we hope that you found this informative and helpful and that you're already thinking about ways you can apply this information to kids on your own caseload we look forward to seeing you next time for chapter five bye laura bye adrian the slp book club is not just a podcast it's a community Go to facebook.com slash groups slash the SLP book club to join the discussion after each episode. Want even more
1: of the SLP book club? We've made all the resources for this book, including chapter summaries and visuals available for free on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the SLP book club to download these great materials.
0: To learn more about the SLP book club, go to the SLP book
1: You can contact us by emailing hello at the SLP Follow us on Instagram at SLP underscore book club. Find us on TikTok at the SLP book club.